Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. The smartest way to get yourself cut from an NFL team was discovered by Jermaine Whitehead, the safety for the Cleveland Browns, who is now unemployed as a result of some violent and threatening tweets last night after a rough loss to the Denver Broncos. Let's talk about all that with Mike Chico Borman from 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland with the latest on the debacle in Cleveland. Good to talk to you, Mike. When did the Cleveland Browns learn about the Jermaine Whitehead social media action? Why did they first come out and just say it was merely inappropriate? Well, I don't think anybody, you know, initially when it happened, and good to be with you guys, initially when it happened, uh, he was still in, in, in pads and cleats. And, I mean, it, this was not long after the game. So uh, I think, you know, when it when it first came out, you know, the Browns are, are trying to, first of all, recover from a tough loss. And, uh, and second of all, you know, once they realize that this is out there, uh, his social media, they're trying to make sure, uh, um, I, my guess is, uh, you know, that it's obviously it's Jermaine and then what the deal is, then they went and talked to him and told him, you know, please take these down, please delete them. He got into a shouting match with a Browns employee saying he wasn't going to do it. And then when Twitter uh, was suspended for him, he decided to move on to Instagram, and then Browns decided to move on from him, which is probably a good idea. Mike, I know he, he did not have a good game yesterday tackling uh, but how had he been playing, and how much of how much of a loss is this? Well, I mean he he had been somebody. That if you go back to spring or spring training, if you go back to training camp, um, you know he had been a guy that was that was turning a lot of heads. He came over from Green Bay, and you know you can see a lot of uh, you know connected dots to a lot of Packers on this team. Uh, John Dorsey obviously spent time there. Elliot Wolf. And Whitehead um, was a guy that spent time in Green Bay. Joe Witt is their uh, secondary coach. And um, so he knew him well. And, and I thought, you know, he had really, he, he had done some really nice things last year when they signed him. Um, he was cut essentially from the, from the Packers and, and the Browns picked him up. He was, uh, he was a pretty versatile guy, both him and Demarius Randall, again, another Packer. Um, had done a nice job, but now before mentioned, Randall goes down with a uh, with an injury, and you know Jermaine Whitehead had played inconsistent, which is pretty much what the what the Browns have been looking at for the past what seven eight games. But yesterday was just, I mean, when you're talking about missing tackles and and the point of the uh, of his outburst on Twitter. 
was directed at a colleague of mine and a guy that obviously has played the game before at a high level, Dustin Fox. Um, he didn't even really make an effort to tackle him. You know, he just kind of, I, I don't even know if he lowered his shoulder. Um, but, you know, that's in route to Noah Fant going 75 yards for a down. You've got Philip Lindsay, another, you know, another guy that he whiffed on in that game. And so inconsistent, uh, for a, a long-winded response to this, inconsistent, which is pretty much what the Browns have been on the defensive side of the ball, man. But yesterday was, uh, wow, it was ugly. It was ugly, guys. It sure was. And, you know, just to clear up, Dustin Fox didn't tweet anything uh, intimidating, just oh. simply tweeted that Whitehead's effort tackling today is a joke, which is frankly being kind, given the effort he gave on at least the Noah Fant play, which was just a debacle. So how do the how do the Cleveland Browns, a team some had slated for the Super Bowl, lose to Brandon Allen, who had never taken an NFL snap? Well, I think it's the theme of this season. I mean, they're they're just they're ill prepared. Um, you know, you, you had a game and and talked about the missed tackles. That's been pretty much something uh, all season long. They lead the league in missed tackles again. They did last year, and we thought, well, it's going to get cleaned up. I mean, this team has so much talent on paper, but I mean, you guys know this, and obviously, hopefully, the Browns know this. It, it takes so much more than that. I mean, they're they're disorganized on game day. Um, you know what you guys are talking about, and and what you guys have seen yesterday or did see yesterday. I mean, we we've been seeing this pretty much every single game where uh, Freddie Kitchens. I had to laugh when you're doing the zip recruiter read because I'm going, wow, qualified candidates. That was a, <laughs> that was a nice catchphrase here in Cleveland with. And now nationally, they they just he's in over his head. He's swimming, and, and this is a team that okay, look, you don't have to be six and two, you don't have to be eight and zero or seven and one, but it's two and six, and it's eighteen penalties, and it's thirteen penalties, and it's you know fourth downs, and and the sideline doesn't know whether to go for it, whether they're punting, uh, and then Freddie, you know, this is last week saying, well, you know, we're I, I wanted to save the timeout um, down by 17 with six minutes to go against the Patriots. I wanted to save the timeout, so I ordered the false start. I mean, that's next level, man. I, I don't know about you guys. I've never heard anything like that. And that's pretty much the story every week. They're just disorganized. They're ill-prepared. And I don't know if they read the press clippings before the season. Um, it's just a team devoid of, of, of leadership and, and – uh, any kind of organization whatsoever. I'm curious too, um, Mike, when you look at like Baker Mayfield, we played some audio of him after the game and man, forget the, forget the picture and uh, that awesome trench coat he was wearing, but I'm talking about just how he sounded. I mean, he just sounded like a beaten down man. And I know he's kind of up and down, based on whether they're winning or losing. But between the outburst at Tony Grossi last week and then how he was after the game, I mean, what are you thinking and what do you think the Browns are thinking about his psyche right now? Because he just sounds so defeated. Yeah, he does. And I think, 
you know, when when you listen to Baker yesterday, um, <laughs> this is going to sound crazy. I mean, that actually, I, I think he actually sounds better than he did, you know, with the with the outburst. And it was it was kind of like Baker almost resigned to the fact that man, this is just this is bad. There's no there's no chip on my shoulder that I can that I can you know uh, garner from from any of the guys in the media, this is just, it's on us. It's bad. And I, you know, I, I think that, um, I think they still believe in Baker. Uh, honestly, I think Baker can still be the guy, but I, and, and he's don't get me wrong. I mean, he is, he's been awful this year. The entire team's been awful this year, but I keep going back to you guys that, you know, Freddie kitchens and, and to some degree, Todd Munkin, but Freddie's the one calling the plays. I mean, he was adamant about that and now gets defensive about it. You know, you don't put him in, in, in good situations. Last year when Freddie took over as offensive coordinator, you know, he would make a joke to us in the media about, guys, you know, we're not trying to reinvent the wheel here. All we're doing is, you know, we're simplifying things. And, you know, one of the first things he did was meet with the offensive line and some guys like J.K. Carter said, you know, wow, an offensive coordinator never really got my input, but what are you guys comfortable with? Let's make it easy. Let's simplify it. And away they went. And now, I mean, he's talked about simplifying things. I mean, he's talked about putting Baker and putting these guys in better situations, and we've got to get Odell Beckham Jr. better to more touch when the don't equate to actions and then you're looking at two and six, you're staring down the barrel of, you know, possibly not being around for very long. And and that's just, I don't know. I mean, this is, this is an ugly situation. Um, and, and it only got worse yesterday, no doubt. Talking to Mike Borman, he hosts Chico After Dark, Monday through Friday, 7 to midnight on 92.3 The Fan in Cleveland. You mentioned Odell Beckham Jr. He had the issue with the cleats where he had to go change him in the locker room at halftime or sit out the second half. There was a report from Jay Feely that he said, I can't get the ball to save my life afterwards, then denied that uh, at the podium post game. But either way, OBJ has 39 catches the worst start of his season. How frustrated do you sense he is? Um, uh, honestly, uh, he's been the least of their problems. I mean, you know, for all of the talk about, well, he's a, he's a diva and, you know, he's now as far as the uniform stuff, I mean, he and Jarvis, uh, we're tired of that stuff. You know, I mean, this is something that, um, you know, you know what the rules are. You can talk about being picked on and all that. But as far as, you know, how he's handled himself, I think it's with the, the tough start and the lack of uh, targets and, and just the losing, he's actually been pretty solid. I mean, it was just last week that he's like, hey, you know, after the outburst with, uh, you know, with the media member last week, it was Odell that said, you know, Baker's my guy. I've got his back. And I still think he feels that way. But anybody's going to be frustrated and anybody's going to be frustrated, certainly when the losing games, the way the Browns are losing. So I think with Beckham, you know, we all thought that, you know, is he going to be a, a, a diva to the point where, 
they're winning games, but you know, his numbers don't look good. But when, when you're not winning games and, and on top of that, your offense is one of the worst in football and you've got that talent. Yeah. I think at some point you're going to say, Hey, get me the ball. And, and if his, you know, if his worst transgression is just simply, you know, hey, I, I want the ball. I want an opportunity to help this team win. You know, he, he really hasn't been that bad, guys. The uniform stuff aside, uh, I think he's handled himself well. But like everybody else in that locker room, everybody's got a boiling point. This was a game that everybody just seemed to think was going to be a W, and Brandon Allen's a uh, a guy that's never taken a snap in, in the NFL before, so the Browns can get back on the winning track. And same old, same old. So um, Odell needs to get the ball more. That's on Freddie. That's on Todd Munkin to, you know, scheme it somehow. And you, you make sure that, that guys like him have the touches. And he doesn't, so he's frustrated. But I, I don't. Honestly, I don't put a whole lot at his feet in terms of how he's handled himself and and all of that. Last one for me, uh, Chico, is just let's 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 end on a positive note. I know that's hard to do right now <laughs> with the Browns, but I'm the a happy recruiter person. found a new candidate. I like this. Yeah, I like to smile. Tell me, tell me some good things going on about the Browns right now. Is it Nick Chubb or whatever? It is? Tell me some good things about the Browns. Like, about pretend I'm a Browns fan. What what can I feel good about right now? What you can feel good about is the guy that you just mentioned, Nick Chubb, is uh, an incredible talent who should have been on the field. That's another issue they've got. Not to pile on here, but you know you've got you've got third and short situations you've got goal line situations you've got you've got plays where like your best your best player certainly your best running back should be on the field and okay you get it once or twice but it happened like four times yesterday where Dontrell Hilliard's in there um all right you said positive though my bad uh Nick Chubb (laughs) Nick Chubb is an incredible talent. Um, he's a humble guy. He doesn't say a lot. He just works his tail off. Incredible talent. And this team has a lot of good, young talent. And I think while we're trying to highlight the positives here, guys, like that's what's just as frustrating. You have all of this talent. Now, granted, out of the gate, yeah, there was something to be said for, hey, we need to be a team and we need to – we haven't done anything yet. We got to, you know, come together and they've done anything but. But now we're eight games in. Um, there's a lot of very, very talented players on this football team. That said, <laughs> they're two and six. So what's that tell you? So that's that's about all I can come up with. We do recommend going to uh, Zip Recruiter to find the next coach, the Cleveland Browns. Great plug there, Chico. <laughs> we appreciate it, man. Uh, best of luck taking calls tonight, 7 to midnight, 92.3, the fan at Cleveland. Should be a very upbeat fan base, my friend. Oh, nobody's on the ledge at all. Guys, I appreciate it, and, uh, and thanks for having me. All right, thanks. Check out Mike in 92.3, the fan in Cleveland. Oh, Ross. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we got to reset and get some positivity going. Ross Tucker was in the stands with his wife for the first time in all these years in the NFL. Have to hear about that experience when we come back after a real quick break. 
Super Bowl contender with a Hall of Fame quarterback had 60 total yards through three quarters on Sunday. We'll talk about that in just a bit. But first, Ross Tucker went to his first NFL game with his wife on Sunday. How has that never happened in all your years? And what was that experience like for you? And most importantly, for her. So this is interesting, Dave, uh, because the answer is my wife, this whole thing started because it's football season, it's November, and my wife kind of wanted to go to a football game. You know, she enjoys the tailgating experience. She enjoys the fall. But quite frankly, most of the time she's watching our kids. She's watching our girls. Because I usually leave on Thursday for the college game that's Saturday. Sunday, I'm doing Eagles pregame. Tonight, I'm back on the sideline for Giants-Cowboys. We can talk about that, Dave, as well uh, a little bit later. Um, so I'm away a lot. I'm at a lot of football games. And even though she doesn't follow it that closely, she grew up a Penn State fan and an Eagles fan like most people around here in eastern Pennsylvania. And her sister's going to Penn State games. Friends are going to Eagles games. So she had been saying to me, I want to go to a game sometime. I thought, okay. Well, buddy of mine has season tickets to the Bears, to the Eagles. Said he was going to the Bears game. Had a couple extra tickets. I thought, you know what? That would be a good time. She can come down with them on the Sprinter van. And uh, I'll do the pregame show. I, and I'd actually stayed in Philadelphia that night because I'd taken the red eye from from Denver. But uh, so I'll do the pregame show and then we can go to the game together. And so we had never sat in the Now, we've sat in the stands at Penn State games, typically Labor Day weekend before the NFL season starts. But uh, she wanted to go. So it was interesting for a couple of different reasons. You know, Dave, when I was a player, she would come to the games, but I was playing. Ever since I've been a player, I've been a broadcaster. I don't, I don't go to NFL games, sit in the stands. Uh, it was, there was a, a several different really interesting aspects of it to me. Number one, it was just fun to be with her at a game. But taking that aside, especially in Philadelphia, Lincoln Financial Field, it is a, an absolutely electric atmosphere. I mean, it is cool. Like I, I love watching games on TV. I love the Red Zone channel, you know, and I recommend both those things to people. But I also think, especially if you have kids, but even if you don't, I would recommend going to one. Going to at least one game a year so it just reminds you of the atmosphere Fear, the energy, the electricity in that stadium when you're there. And I already know that from being a broadcaster, but it's different when you're actually in the stands. So that stood out to me, number one, Dave. Number two, and this is kind of a tip of the cap to something you and I debated a lot when this show first started a couple months ago. And I can't remember what the debate was, but you would always talk mm -hmm. about the hard-earned money these people, you know, that they spend on on these games and these jerseys. I can't remember what the context was or what the discussion, but you would typically, you know, you were on one side of the debate, I was on the other, 
and you kept referencing that the fans have the right because of the money they spend or mm -hmm. whatever. I can't remember what it was. But I'll say this, Dave, tip of the uh, proverbial cap to you. When you're in the stands for a game, it, you really, really realize how important it is to those people. And, you know, a lot of those people, they're, they're wearing a jersey. They're, it was $10 Miller Lights. I was too lazy to go back and get IPAs when the guy, the Miller Light guy, was right there. Now, there was Bud Light, too. You know how I feel about that. Yes, <laughs> we won't, we won't go into that. <laughs> but I will say, out of the mass-produced light beers, the one that actually has a little bit of flavor, in my opinion, is Miller Light. So I spent a decent amount of money on Miller Light yesterday. Uh, 20 bucks a pot. It was $10 each. I mean, but you look at how much people are eating and drinking. Yeah. And you look at them, and and um, the best way to say this, they don't all look like they come from means, if you will. Like, it's pretty clear that they're spending a, a lot of their disposable income on that Sunday event. I mean, that is a big part of it. And sure. honestly, um, it makes you appreciate the fans even more and how much – like just hearing them yell and stand up and the things they say. I mean, it me, Dave, I, I'm going to say this. Okay. It's irrationally important to them, but it's important to them. I mean, it really, really matters a great deal and good for them. I wouldn't have the jobs I have. We wouldn't have this show, but it is really something when you're in the stands to just you can hear it in their voices. You can see it in the veins on the side of their head. I mean, it means so much. And then the last thing I would say is, um, you know, and I, and I said this to my wife. I said, it's pretty cool that I was one of those guys out there. You know what I mean? Like, there's 75,000 people, like, in the Roman Coliseum, and there's gladiators out there on the field. And I'm sitting there, and it's so cool to be in the stands watching. But then you watch those guys, and it's like, I never I never got to be in the stands and watch me play, obviously. Like, I, I never got to experience what it was like to watch me because I was the one doing it. But it was just kind of cool to have a moment with my wife and say, because she obviously did a lot, that, like, what was it like when I was, like, when you were watching, she's, like, stressful. And... <laughs> And I said, well, what, why were you so stressed that I'd get hurt? She's like, no, more that you'd screw up and be really upset and we'd have a terrible night. <laughs> that sounds about kind right. Of funny. Yeah, no, I think the debate, you're right, was one where I, I genuinely back a fan's right to boo relentlessly, even at the home stadium, their home team. I just feel like these fans go to such incredible means to be to these games, the money they spend, the time they take, the sacrifice they make to cheer on these teams. They've earned the right to boo, even, even a little bit over the line sometimes, their own home team. I think the fans really have earned that. I don't go to NFL games either. Very rarely will you find me at an NFL game. I like to sit on my couch so I can watch them all and take these ridiculous eight or nine pages of notes. And one of the notes that I took six or seven times because I kept refreshing my stats to make sure I had it correct.
because I couldn't have had it correct that a Super Bowl contender with the Hall of Fame quarterback had 60 yards through three quarters. And yeah, they were sort of on the road, but not really because they're the Green Bay Packers. They were playing in L.A. where at least a third, if not half the fans were Packers fans. Green Bay stunk up the joint through three quarters. And okay, they played a decent quarter in the fourth. The Chargers blew them out. This game was 26 to 11, but it was nowhere near that close. And let's start with the positive, and that is the San Diego Chargers, after firing Ken Wisenhut, the offensive coordinator, looked like a completely different team. Four straight games below 40 yards rushing. Then they respond Sunday with 160 yards rushing. Look like a completely different football team. And Ross, the one that a lot of people thought could be a contender in the AFC prior to the injury to Derwin James and the holdout of Melvin Gordon. Do you look at San Diego differently before we get to Green Bay after that dominant performance? No, I mean, I guess a little bit um, because it was a dominant performance when they get Ingram and Bosa both out there, you know, playing as well as they did. They're both healthy. It doesn't seem like that happens very often where Bosa and Ingram are both healthy and able to play like that, uh, it, that is hard to stop. I mean, I've said it before, Dave, I'll say it again. Second most important position in, in NFL is defensive line. It just is. It, they, they, those guys can control everything, and they did in that game. They were hell on wheels, both of them. So that stood out to me. And then, you know, getting Russell Okung back and Melvin Gordon, that was the best Melvin Gordon has looked by a lot for the Chargers. I just think, you know, in that in the AFC, mm. in, in the AFC West, especially depending on what happens with Patrick Mahomes, I still just don't see the Chargers being able to be consistent enough to really get back in this thing. I just think it was probably uh, one good day at the office. Although it was a new offensive coordinator and sometimes change helps that too. And perhaps we have to look at the other side of the ball the exact same way. The Green Bay Packers were awful. They had nothing going. 139 total yards when all is said and done. 11 carries, 45 rushes. They were 2 for 10 on third down. Yes, they traveled coast to coast to play in California. Perhaps their internal clocks are off. But if this team is a Super Bowl contender, which we thought they were one week ago. And folks, this is the beauty of the NFL. You don't see this in Major League Baseball. You don't see this in the NBA. You don't see this in the NHL or any other professional sport where one given game, everything you thought you knew, you have to completely throw it away because that Packers team yesterday, specifically the offense, was completely inept. What do you chalk it up to playing in front of, as I said, a pretty friendly road crowd? Yes, it's coast-to-coast -coast travel. Is this just one of those games you have to throw away, or could it be indicative of a larger issue with the pack? I'm throwing it away, Dave. And, and here's the point I want to make, okay? And this is really important. Every week in the NFL is a unique entity unto itself, right? So every yeah. week... There's 20 coaches for each team, and they spend 48 hours 
poring over what the opponent does, coming up with a plan to try to best defeat that opponent that week. Sometimes, and this was the case yesterday, the Chargers had a better plan than the Packers. And then the Chargers players went out and executed it better. But this is why it's such a week-to-week league. Now, certainly there are teams that win a lot more than others, like the Patriots and others, and we know that. And, and players and talent has a lot to do with it. But that's why I'm never really surprised on a week-to-week basis. It's why, uh, you know, people have a tough time with their survivor, suicide, or knockout pools. Because no matter who you think is going to lose, at some point they're going to win. You know, that doesn't happen nearly as much in college football. Now, there are upsets in college football, and South Carolina beat Georgia. But it's really, really rare for, you know, a a team like Bowling Green to beat a team like Alabama. or There's just too much of a gap. In the NFL, there's never that much of a gap. And so, based on the plan that those teams put together that week, and then how their players executed. Heck, a couple yep. weeks ago, I did the Bowling Green Toledo game, and Toledo was 27 and a half point favorites. Bowling Green had a better plan that day. Bowling Green won the game. And that can happen even in college football when the teams are at least somewhat closely matched from a talent perspective in the same conference. And that's what we saw with the Houston Texans and Jacksonville Jaguars game over there in London where. Most experts thought this would be a very tight game. The point spread was tight, evenly matched teams. Gardner Minshew had played extremely well, and the Houston defense had been gashed. They are also playing without Laramie Tunsil. You thought this game sets up very well for Jacksonville to be competitive, if not maybe win this football game. But boy, Deshaun Watson took over this game from the very start. He looked outstanding. Continues to find Darren Fells, by the way, who leads the league in touchdowns for tight ends with six. But Deshaun Watson has got to be in that MVP conversation. The guy is never sacked, regardless of when the official wants to blow that whistle. The guy is never down and has now accounted for 23 touchdowns, 18 passing, five rushing, 26 to 3. They just annihilate the Jags, rushing for 216 yards. Carlos Hyde, probably the best we've ever seen him in his career. And the beauty of this one, after the game, Deshaun Watson asked about recovering from that black eye after he was kicked in the eye on a touchdown pass. And he said the key to the recovery was the Popeye's spicy chicken sandwiches that I ate this week. That helped the eye. Now, I I just was thinking about that, Ross, and they were over there in London, and there's Melissa Stark. That's who he told that to from the NFL Network. This Popeye's spicy chicken sandwich did not come out until Sunday. They were over there in London, so I think Deshaun has an extra special hookup. But, boy, was he special again on Sunday in that early window game. Unbelievable. I was dead wrong about this game. I I really thought with that beat-up Texans offensive line, Laramie Tunsil didn't even play in the game. I thought the Jags D-line would destroy them. I thought Watson would get killed. Did not expect them to be able to run it that effectively. Did not expect without J.J. Watt and a beat-up secondary for the Houston Texans 
to be able to stop Minshew Mania, who did nothing over in London. He was awful uh, getting back to where he'd been a couple weeks ago. But the story of the game remains Deshaun Watson. You know, he is like a magician back there. He is so fun to watch. Even when it looks like he's done, he somehow gets out of it and makes big plays. He does it so consistently that it's clearly not a fluke. I mean, the guy looks like Houdini back there, but it works. And they're all subtly different. But I do think it's interesting that Russell Wilson, Deshaun Watson, and Lamar Jackson are three leading MVP candidates because mobility and playmaking ability and what they call second reaction plays is a big part of it for all three of those guys and a big reason why their teams are in the position they're in and why those guys are the three leading MVP candidates. Now, they're all a little different. Russell Wilson isn't usually in the grasp like it seems like Deshaun Watson is before he breaks free. <laughs> Lamar Jackson's more designed runs or scrambling rather than throwing it. Russell Wilson's probably the most polished of those guys, but they all have the gift of being able to make plays with their legs. And man, that's a nice thing to have. And Gardner Minshew has that ability as well. And that's why the reason most people thought the Jaguars would be in this game. And Gardner Minshew would only turn the ball over two times, two interceptions coming into this game. He ended up throwing two interceptions in back-to-back -back throws in the fourth quarter, later fumbled the ball as well. So three fourth-quarter turnovers came at the worst possible time as Doug Marone is trying to get that last impression for who is his quarterback coming out of the break. He said they'll go They'll step away from it. He'll come back. He'll make his decision on the game week. Nick Foles looks like he's healthy. Is there any question to you? To me, there is not. Nick Foles has to return as your starting quarterback out of the break. Do you agree? You know what? Yes, I do. I, I would like to see what Nick Foles can do with this team down the stretch so that they can make a, a, a decision at the end of the year. You want to have a pretty good sample size of Foles I feel like you have a pretty good idea of what Minshew is. Um, and I, look, I think he can continue to get better. That's not a negative. But I, I think you just want to have something to compare and contrast it to by seeing how Nick Foles can perform in this offense, how the team performs around Nick Foles. Yeah, they've got to give him a chance, given how that game ended. Gardner Minshew's not going anywhere. He's going to be around in this league. This is a talented young man. Great decisions, great escapability. Only five minutes of commercials per hour here on Home and Home. We'll take a quick break now. When we come back, Jonas Schaefer from the Baltimore Sun joins us to talk about Lamar Jackson's dominant effort in that beatdown in Baltimore last night. What did John Harbaugh see going in? We'll talk to Jonas Schaefer, Baltimore Sun, when we come back. Nick Boyle. Baltimore Ravens tight end said of the New England Patriots game ahead of this game, we'll see how good they are once we play them. I don't think they've seen anyone like our offense or like Lamar. Nick Boyle was spot on, scored a touchdown and a beatdown of the New England Patriots. Home and home at radio.com. Sports original. We are brought to you by ZipRecruiter. Check out ZipRecruiter. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. They are the smartest way to hire a lot to get to in the next 30 minutes including the 20 million dollar buyout for the florida state seminoles how bad 
must Willie Taggart be to fork over that kind of cash? But let's talk about the beatdown in Baltimore with Jonas Schaefer from the Baltimore Sun. Jonas, good to talk to you. Dave Briggs and Ross Tucker, Lamar Jackson, clearly the story in this game. What surprised you in the way he was able to lead that offense against what we thought was one of the best defenses in NFL history? Good morning, fellas. Thanks for having me. Uh, I think, honestly, you know, we knew that this would probably be a defense that the Ravens would have some success running the ball against. We saw last week with New with Cleveland uh, really being able to, to gash that, that run D for a couple long runs by Nick Chubb. But I think for the Ravens to have the success they did throwing the ball for Lamar to go, I think, 17 for 23 against a secondary that's, you know, probably the best in the NFL and, you know, maybe one of the best ever with how they had been playing was really impressive. You know, they don't have a great receiving core. They do have a you know good group of a good group of tight ends, but you know those are guys who they rely maybe more on in run blocking than uh, in you know the, the pass game. So for Lamar to have the kind of night that he did to keep the pressure off him, to convert those throws on third down and fourth down when they really needed to, to you know sw- to swing the momentum back the other way and, and keep the drives alive, I think that really just shows how far Lamar has grown since last year when you know they really found themselves in a tough spot when they weren't able to run the ball. What is it like right now in Baltimore? I guess I'll start with last night. You know, there have been some years recently where the Ravens, you know, there were some empty seats in the crowd. You know, it didn't feel like there was much of a buzz about the team. Last night felt absolutely electric, looked like it on TV. What was the atmosphere like? Yeah, I mean it was it was packed well before the opening kickoff, which, as you know, you're right, it's it's not something you often see in Baltimore or or in many stadiums. It's just there is definitely a buzz and energy around this team around Lamar Jackson. I'm not sure if you guys heard it on TV, but you know, toward the end of that game, after they went up uh, for two touchdowns, there were chants of MVP, which is you know not something you've you've heard in Baltimore uh, in a in a long long time, but. This is a team that that's easy to get behind. They got a lot of great personalities. They play a very fun, uh, distinct style. So, you know, I think there's a lot of pride in Baltimore about this is our team and you can't have them. And, you know, right now with how the Ravens are rolling, the, it's it's all aboard this bandwagon, basically. So, yeah, I want to get into that in particular. Uh, Lamar mania, if you will. You know, I mean, he's young. He's exciting. I can't even imagine what that's like for those folks in Baltimore. I mean, is it fair to say everybody is all in on, on Lamar mania at this point? Yeah. I mean, you, you walk around the stadium before the game and there's so many Lamar Jackson shirts uh, compared to last year. It's ridiculous. You know, last year you definitely would have seen a lot more Joe Flacco jerseys than, than Lamar. And now, you know, Lamar's maybe surpassed Justin Tucker, who, uh, you know, was one of the kind of leaders uh, in terms of having his jersey represented because he is such a great player in Baltimore. But, you know, people just want to, you know, gravitate toward a guy who's this charismatic, who can do the things that only he can. And, you know, the Ravens have this kind of long torture history of not having explosive playmakers on offense. And now they have a guy who, you know, might be in the MVP running because no one can stay in front of them. And it, it's just a very, very different thing for, for Ravens fans used to rooting for a team that you know was reliant pretty much on its defense. 
John Harbaugh, what a terrific coaching job this guy's done. When you think about a year ago, and you think about coaching a guy in Joe Flacco, a big, tall, drop-back, seven-step quarterback, and now completely <laughs> transforming the offense, I can't think of anything more radical in terms of quick change uh, than this offense in just one year. Let's listen to John Harbaugh after the win last night. Thanks for staying up late. Uh, it's a great win. Uh, very proud of uh, and excited for our players as a player's win. I thought our players went out there and uh, did what they had to do to win the game against a very, very good opponent. Uh, Patriots are a great football team. They're, they're, the, they're, the, they're a very, very well-coached football team, always are, and they are again this year. I think uh, thought they played really hard. They had a great plan, and um, it's, uh, it's, it's just a really good accomplishment to beat a team of that caliber, uh, and we're, we're proud to do it. John Harbaugh is not about to stand up there and take credit for this win, but what a brilliant game plan he had for the New England Patriots, had extra time in the bye week. How much credit do you give him for this game plan and just the dramatic transformation I talked about a moment ago from Flacco to Lamar Jackson? Yeah, I think to give him and then also offensive coordinator Greg Roman a bunch of credit. Last year, it was remarkable just to just completely change paths midstream to go from a you know pass heavy offense with Joe Flacco to a team that ran the ball more than 60% of the time over the second half of last season when Lamar Jackson was starting and they knew what they had in Lamar this offseason so they went ahead and you know just blew up the offense one more time they they wanted to do everything they could to maximize his talents and make use of the weapons that they had so they tore up the playbook, built it from the ground up again. And what you see now is, you know, one of the NFL's best offenses. So, you know, John Harbaugh talked a lot about uh, last season, just in you know, how this was a team that he really, really liked. It was maybe, what, you know, one of the favorite teams he'd coached in his career. And this team is probably, uh, you know, a good bit better than, than last year's team. And he hasn't really commented on just how those two teams compare in the locker room. He's not a guy who likes to do locker room comparisons, but, you know, you look at those post-game videos and he is just smiling from ear to ear and you know, he's happy to have a great leader like Lamar. He's happy to have the kind of veterans on defense that he, that he does sticking up. And, you know, some of the guys who were supposed to be, you know, potential troublemakers like a Marcus Peters coming in with the reputation that he has, uh, has really, you know, shown in, uh, done, done his work and, you know, really left no doubt that he, he's a good fit on this team. So just a, a total credit to this coaching staff and this front office for, finding pieces that fit after losing a really talent, a lot of really talented guys in the free agency this offseason. Jonas, there's sort of a um, almost like an inevitability in some people's mind that Lamar Jackson is going to get hurt with the amount of times that he runs the football. I know there are people just waiting in the woodwork to, <laughs> to come out of there when he does get hurt. They almost can't wait for it to happen. I love that the Ravens are trying a quarterback centric run game. I see it all the time in college football. I've written about that. And, and I guess my question is how much of a concern do the Ravens and their fans have about Lamar Jackson and the amount of shots that he takes? I think it's a pretty low concern at this point because you watch a game and even last night when they were running design runs for Lamar with you know, no option of giving it to a running back or, or pulling it and throwing it to Marquise Brown or someone like that, he really doesn't take a whole lot of shots. I mean, the, 
I think the biggest risk for him just be, comes in the it comes in the red zone when you know the the space gets cramped and there's not a lot of other options to run except into the the teeth of the defense. But I mean, you watch him run in the open field and it's just the same thing like the like it was in college. It's really tough for guys to to catch up to him to line him up. So it's gonna be really really tough for him to you know get a big hit on him. I mean, obviously there's always a situation where he could have his knee bent back a, a weird way or get sandwiched by a couple of defenders. But I think honestly, there's probably just as much risk for him running in the open field with the experience that he does uh, as he does dropping back because this is a great offensive line that he has that, you know, really does a great job keeping him protected and in the open field, you know, linebackers aren't going to be able to square him up and maybe bend his knee back in an awkward angle. And by the time he gets to that, you know, second or third level, he's either running out of bounds or running past a cornerback. So I, I think Ravens fans by this point, with the weight that he's put on this offseason, the good, you know, strong weight, and and the way that they've seen him protect himself uh, better than he did last year, I don't think there's that much concern uh, with potentially losing him for the season. It's just, you know, a calculated risk that these Ravens are willing to take. All right, buddy. Well, it's good to talk to you, Jonas Schaefer from the Baltimore Sun. The Ravens are off and running. Feels like a team the Patriots will indeed see again. Appreciate the time. Thank you. Thanks, guys. All right, coming up in just a bit, some college football news. Florida State firing their head coach, Willie Taggart. Why it cost some $20 million in a few names we're hearing could be considered. But who is Florida State? We'll talk about the Knowles in just a sec, Ross. Brutal. They're going to be hiring. They're going to be looking for qualified candidates. They should go to ZipRecruiter. Look, we all know hiring can be a challenge. My girl Gretchen Hebner discovered that. She needed to hire a game artist for her education tech company. She knew it wouldn't be easy to find someone to grow with her team. That's why she went to ZipRecruiter. They don't depend on candidates finding you. That's like 2000, dude. ZipRecruiter finds them for you. It's technology identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job. So you get qualified candidates and you get them fast. Gretchen posted her job on ZipRecruiter and said she was impressed with how quickly she found qualified applicants. She also used ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter her candidates so she could focus on the best ones. That's how Gretchen found a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's really no wonder Four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash E-N-T-E-R. ZipRecruiter.com slash enter. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Florida State Seminoles are hiring after getting smacked down 27 to 10 by Miami. They are now 9 and 12 in two years, 0 and 5 against the likes of Miami, Florida, and Clemson. And that's why Willie Taggart is out as head coach in less than two years. And it ain't cheap to get Willie Taggart out. It will cost them north of $18 million when you consider the staff buyout. The report is Florida State had to raise $20 million to buy out Taggart and his staff 
though they issued some strange statement saying it was not for the buyout for Taggart, maybe just for kicks they raised $20 million to move on from that head coach. It has gotten so bad so quick in Tallahassee. I'm not sure anymore who Florida State is, Ross. Can they attract the likes of the big names out there, or do they got to completely reset and look for one of those smaller emerging type names? How bad has it gotten down there? It's scary. Uh, I was actually uh, in the booth for the first game of the Willie Taggart era. Last year against Virginia Tech, there was quite a lot of buzz about Taggart coming back after the success he had at South Florida. He's a Florida guy. The thought process was that he would recruit at a really high level. That hasn't really happened. And what's scary is, They've had some players. I mean, you know, last year, Francois was his quarterback. That's a guy that had played a bunch for Florida State at that point. Cam Akers is a terrific running back. They have been so bad up front. But even last year, they had Brian Burns, first-round pick for the Panthers, just tearing it up, playing defensive end. They had some speed and guys at receiver. It's just – it's hard to believe – that they could get this bad this quickly. And here's a question too, Dave. You know, I generally think to fire a college football coach after one year, like has happened at times, or in this case, after a year and a half, that seems crazy to me in most cases. But if you are Florida State, and you see the direction this is going, you don't really see a whole lot of hope on the recruiting trail. I want to say that they might have gone two years in a row now without signing a quarterback. Like, what? What are we even talking about here? They haven't signed a quarterback? It's hard to really sit back. They don't have young guys playing that get you excited about the future. I generally think for an NFL coach, Man, that guy should get at least two years. Uh, For a college coach, that guy should get at least three. I mean, to show that he can actually recruit guys and play them when they're young guys as freshmen, sophomore, and see what they have. But in certain instances, when the fan base gets this apathetic, when it's this bad, and I think that the quote was, we had no choice, and I kind of don't blame him. I mean, it, it, it had gotten seemingly that bad at this point with them and Florida State. No momentum. Embarrassed by Miami, who, by the way, is not even good. I mean, it's really crazy to me, Dave, that we're in a place that there's no doubt in my mind University of Central Florida, UCF, is better than Miami and Florida State. They are. And they don't beat them very often in recruiting battles. But they're not that far away, and they're going to start to win more of those. I mean, Florida's by far the best team in the state of Florida. I think UCF is second. Miami showed Saturday that they're third. And if you're Florida State, you cannot be the fourth best team in the state of Florida. I mean, this program was so good for so long. They were really like – I mean, Dave, how many years would you say where they were the best program in college football? I mean, there was like a – a 10, 15-year stretch there where right. I think they were top five. Like every year at the end of the year, they were top five. 
Yeah, the Bowden years felt like, uh, you know, Bobby Bowden, one of the greats of all time, felt like a good 10 or 15 year period. They were always in that top five conversation, but they could have fired Willie Taggart after a win in week two. Because I don't know if you recall watching the the first time I watched this team this year was week two in a win over Louisiana Monroe. Louisiana Monroe, they had to eke out a 45-44 win. And that's when, from what I understand, the boosters started figuring out, all right, it's time. How are we going to raise this massive buyout? Can't imagine Florida State ever has a buyout like this again, unless they can attract, I, I can't even think of a name. I can't even think of a single name that they could get where they could have a buyout of more than $10 million. That is clearly something that will set this school back for several years. And now the names you're hearing tossed about, uh, both old and new, Memphis's Mike Norville been thrown around, done a great job, 38 years old. P.J. Fleck at Minnesota, a name you hear a lot. Iowa State head coach Matt Campbell, you're going to hear about with just about any top job opening. And the one uh, recycled name that we're beginning to hear a little bit is XFL coach Bob Stoops, the former Sooners great. In what direction, without saying a name, do you think they need to go with an old, more established name like Bob Stoops or a young up-and-comer like one of those aforementioned Norville or Fleck or Campbell? I think I'd go with one of the up-and-comers. I, I really yeah. do. I think I'd go young. It's a young man's game. It's a young man's business on the recruiting end of it. I would go young. I think Fleck, I mean, Minnesota, and I know they haven't played anybody yet, and Saturday they play Penn State, and that might be a day of reckoning for the Golden Gophers. We'll see at noon on Saturday. But the reality is, Dave, Fleck has now done it at both Western Michigan and Minnesota. If I see you turn around a program multiple places, and you're young and hungry and you'll recruit, that's what I'm looking at. I mean, Willie Taggart hadn't even really done that much. He was at Oregon for one year, and he didn't do anything in Oregon. I mean, so I think Norvell at Memphis is a good one as well. But those are the guys I like. Matt Campbell did it at Toledo. He's done it at Iowa State. That seems to be the guy. Like a Matt Campbell, P.J. Fleck type that's done it at multiple places, still young, and Florida State still a major step up from Minnesota and Iowa State. Those would be the two guys I'd probably go for. Even more, I don't. I can't remember. Do you know, I don't know offhand where Norville mm. was before he was at Memphis. I like if somebody's done it two places. I'd have to look that up on Norville, but I know yeah, that I don't know Black either. Campbell done it multiple places. I'm not sure where he was either, but certainly done a terrific job. Uh, big win this weekend over SMU. You were at a college football game this past weekend. It was Air Force and Army in Colorado Springs. One of the truly unique college football atmospheres. I highly recommend each and every one of you. But it was throughout that game that an interesting experience popped up. One that, well, quite frankly, no other college football fan could experience. Well, a couple of things, Dave. First of all, how far did you grow up from Colorado Springs? About 45 minutes away. Okay. So you said it exactly right. That place is awesome. Like the stadium is built into like a mountain. It, oh. it looks so cool. Now the flip side is it would be kind of cool if it was flipped the other way 
and when you're in the press box, you could look at the mountains. But I'm sure they saved a bunch of dough by actually building it yeah. into the stand. It was awesome. I mean, I, I encourage anybody, if you can ever get to any of these commander-in-chief games, Army-Navy, Air Force-Army, Air Force-Navy, they are incredible atmospheres. You know, because it's almost like they're bitter rivals, but they know in the end that they're going to be teammates. It's really a, it's really a cool thing. Crowd was uh, totally jam-packed. It was awesome. Terrific game. Um, Army ended up losing at the end. Uh, but it was funny because, just a funny story to tell you, Dave, is during the game, and I got a text message from a buddy of mine, Ed McCaffrey, who obviously played in the NFL for a while. He's got a bunch of boys, including Christian McCaffrey, that play football. And he said, you sound great on the call. You should stop by my house after the game. I live like 35 minutes north of I-25. I was like, are you serious? Are you just being nice? <laughs> and he's like, no, I'm serious. I said, all right, well, I'm taking the red eye back to Philly tonight, so I will. So I stopped by Ed McCaffrey's house. And then while I'm there, his wife, Lisa, who's lovely, said, oh, by the way, we're going out to dinner to Shanahan's restaurant, Shanahan's Steakhouse, in like 30 minutes. I thought, oh, okay. Uh, are you sure? Like, I don't want to impose. I don't want to be a third wheel. They're like, no, we're going with a couple other couples, uh, the Shanahan's and these other people. And I'm like, Kyle Shanahan or Mike Shanahan? Is it Mike Shanahan? I'm like, I don't, I don't, you know, you guys, three couples, dinner. I don't need to be the seventh wheel in this case. Like, nope, they already know you're coming. They're excited about it, blah, blah, blah. So it was cool. You know, anytime uh, you get a chance to talk football and life with guys like Ed McCaffrey and Mike Shanahan, that's cool. It's also, I highly recommend going to restaurants where you sit at the table with the guy who's the restaurant's named after. That would be a recommendation of mine. Uh, it's fun. It's nice. You know, everybody's looking over. I mean, be, Dave, you're from Denver. Imagine being at, at a restaurant in Denver with Mike Shanahan and Ed McCaffrey. I mean, they got to be like two of like the what? Ten biggest Denver legends? Easily. Easily. Yeah, you know, and John Elway has a steakhouse there too. So I guess next time you're going to have to top it and go to Elway's with John Elway. But isn't it amazing that the genes in that McCaffrey family, all due respect to Mike Shanahan, but look at that just bloodline with Christian McCaffrey. I think there's, what, three of them now, just like the Bosa's have uh, two four. incredible talents. F four, four Shanahan. And, and, and let me tell you this. And let me tell you this, Dave. So the oldest one, Max McCaffrey, has been drafted in the XFL. He's bounced around the NFL the last couple of years. He played wide receiver at Duke. Christian played running back at Stanford and is obviously an MVP candidate in the NFL. Then the youngest two, Dylan and Luke, play quarterback at Michigan and Nebraska. So I was asking, when I got to, when I got to their house, they were telling me what they're, from noon to three or 10 to one, you know, mountain time, they yeah. sat there and flipped back and forth between the Nebraska and Michigan game. Now, they knew Luke wasn't going to play for Nebraska, but they still wanted to watch the team. And then in, in Michigan, they knew Dylan might get in. So they're flipping back and forth. Can you imagine, Dave, sitting there going back and <laughs> forth between Nebraska and Michigan to see if your son's getting the game? And then they felt like, uh, should we fly to Carolina to see Christian play or should we just watch him on TV the next day? For those of you who don't know, uh, Lisa, uh, Ed's wife, 
was an All-American soccer player at Stanford, and her dad ran in the Olympics. Like, he ran the 100-yard dash in the Olympics. So you get Ed's size and hands, and you get the speed, and, I mean, it's great. You have, you have to understand, like, Ed McCaffrey and even his brother Billy, they're legends, Dave, in Pennsylvania. Like, Ed McCaffrey in the mid-'80s was just dunking on people's heads in high school basketball as he led Allentown Central Catholic to the state championship, just dunking on people. Like, imagine Ed McCaffrey in high school at, like, 6'5", 225, just throwing it down. Man, we, we got to get more into this tomorrow. We got to go Bosa's, Watts, and McCaffrey's and just see, you know, who is the most talented. Because the Watts have three, right, three brothers playing in the NFL, and the Watts have – two dominant players. I mean, it, I don't know. We, we're going to have to break this down. Who has the best genes of those three families? And there might be a few others that get included in that conversation. The Gronkowskis, um, a few other. Uh, Gronk's a good else? one, yeah. Gronk's a good one. They got loads of talent. And we'll see who else we can include in that bracket. Also, tomorrow, we'll discuss this Trent Williams battle between he and the Redskins, the NFL PAs involved in now some fingers being pointed at a television network as well. Also, the Nationals visit the White House today. Will that become an overtly political scene? How many guys will or will not show up? We know Sean Doolittle will not. Will it be like the Red Sox last year where you see the team fractured in half? We'll figure that out tomorrow. Thanks for joining us on a Monday. For Ross Tucker, I'm Dave Briggs. We'll see you Tuesday. I forgot the Mannings. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 